last week as well as today, we're kind of in this little mini two-part series out, uh, out of Hebrews 3 and, and now a little bit into 4 about rest. Uh, and what we learned last week is that God has this home. He has this place of, of rest for our souls. He has this home. It's not a brick and mortar. It's not a building. But what it is, it's a, it's a building of people. It's, a, it's not sheetrock. It's not electrical wires. But it's people being brought together. And it's his house. And, he, and in this house, in this place, he's got, it's a zone of safety for us to where we, have, we get the rest uh, that we want, and I don't mean like taking a nap, but we're we're in that. It means that we're in that we're exactly where God wants us to be. be. It's where our our souls feel at home. It feels uh, it feels right. It feels at peace. It feels love. It feels joy, regardless of what's happening around us. We're at peace with, with God, and it's this place of rest. And that's the invitation that God has for us: that hey, come enter this rest. And so, one of the things that the Book of Hebrews did was it talked about the, uh, the, the children of Israel, talked about the, the nation of Israel, and he, and he kind of took that story and laid it over our lives to see, are, are, we, um, are we entering that rest? And so the story uh, that we looked at was where uh, the, the, the Israelites, uh, God's nation, his people, they were in bondage in Egypt for over 400 years. He gets a guy... Moses, and he says, calls them out of, of bondage and slavery. Moses leads them out of Egypt uh, to the banks of the Red Sea, uh, hemmed in with the Egyptian army right behind them. God miraculously uh, divides the Red Sea. I mean, an ocean dividing into, they walk you know, across the ground, and, and then they get on the other side, two million people. And then once the Egyptian army gets in, into there, the Red Sea closes, demolishing uh, their greatest enemy, the, the the Egyptians, and this symbolizes really this is a this is a this was a real life event that that we experience in the, the spiritual sense with our sin that we we are uh, held in bondage before Christ. You are in slavery to Satan, sin, and death, and and you are in bondage to that. You um, you can't stop sinning and you can't stop dying, and so you're a slave to those things. And so, but God through the cross and sending His Son to die for our sins and Him rising to new life, He defeated our greatest enemies of Satan sin and death, and we are totally free. Our enemies are at the bottom of the ocean. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We're completely free. And so God, though, as you read in, on in Exodus, you see that he leads them uh, to uh, the, the edge of this river, the Jordan River, and on the other side was this promised land, this land flowing with, with milk and honey. And I know that doesn't mean much to you and I, but basically it's this land of great wealth and freedom, and they had to, they had to fight for this, so it wasn't like they came in, again, rest wasn't like they crossed a river and took a nap. It was like rest was they came over and they, they apprehended this land by faith, you know, the whole Jericho thing. But what happened for the, for the Moses generation is that they had unbelief. So they, they saw all these enemies and, and they were too tall. And, uh, you know, and the river was too high. And so even though God had defeated much greater enemies in their past, even though he divided an ocean, he couldn't divide a river. And so they failed to believe God. And so they wandered and they had no rest. And that's the same thing for us is that we believe that God, man, he's, you know, he's saved us from sin. He saves us from Satan. We have eternity with him. But, you know, what, you know, what can he do about my marriage? I mean, like what, you know, he, you know who could solve that problem? And so we fail to enter, we fail to trust God in our marriage. We fail to trust God in our fight. We fail to trust God in all these area, these other areas. And so we just wander as Christians. We fail to enter that rest. And so this warning continues, and we're going to look at that warning some more, uh, as well as some hopefully some tools to help us to stay in God's rest. So verse 12, if you kind of 
just hold that section of scripture, hold the Bible open in your lap here. We'll, we'll take a look at this. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be any evil in you. So it's this word here is to take care of too. It means to look intently. It means to examine. It means to be, uh, 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 to be really serious about making sure that there's, there's nothing unbelieving in your heart. Um, I'll say, you, know, you, you, got, you, you got the annual physical. Who, who takes the annual physical, like with your doctor? Like you go there once, a few more than the um, early service. Maybe they misunderstood the question, but they but still not many of you. And the reason why we don't do this as much as we should, because it's awkward, right? I mean, you go in there, you go into some room, it's like sub-freezing in there, and there's like a steel chair, which is, and you know, that you can't use your phone because, you know, so you're bored and the magazines are like 10 years old. And then they tell you to, you know, that someone comes in and finally checks your heart and then they, or they, they do the that called? Cessoscope. And then they, and then they leave, they, you know, you get undressed, you put on like this paper mache robe and then the doctor comes in and, you know, you, he checks some more, you cough and like, you know, he's checking for things to like, see if there's something seriously wrong with you. And, uh, you do that so that you can prevent something much, much greater. And, you know, we're, we really need to go to the doctor guys. And so we, let's do that tomorrow. Let's, let's make that plan. All right. Okay. Um, but also the scripture is saying, just like you need to go to get your physical to make sure something major doesn't happen, like you need to do this, this is important. You also, the Bible is saying, you need to look intently at your heart. You need to look intently at your life to see that there's no unbelief that's happening in there. Like you are trusting God and you're believing God because it's just when unbelief creeps in, this is how we fail to enter this rest. This is how we fail to not... Um, you know, grab a hold of everything that God has for us if there's unbelief. So we need to be very diligent. We need to be very diligent. We need to look closely. We need to look intently. We need to examine to make sure that there's no unbelief inside of us. And so we have this responsibility for ourselves, but it's also going to say that we have this community responsibility. Like I have responsibility uh, for my own life, but I have this responsibility for your life and and you have responsibility for your life and you have a responsibility for my life. And and, and it's all this thing about we, we all need each other in this because what this passage says, it says, take care, brethren, or, you know, just brothers and sisters, this is community, this is plural, that there not be in any one of you, and that word you is singular, it's not singular, it's plural, so it's kind of like you all, like, uh, that there not be any one of you all in unbelieving heart. So we have this person, this personal responsibility to watch and look intently in our own life, but we got to do this uh, for uh, each other. And the truth is, is I need that. I need you to come alongside me. I, I have blind spots in my life. I don't see things correctly all the time. I, 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 I don't have a view. I have, I have a view, but I don't have all the view in the way that God has designed how he's hardwired creation, how he's put things together. He's put us together where we de- absolutely depend on each other. So the Bible says, doesn't say that I have the mind of Christ, but it does say that we, we have the mind of Christ. This is something that we can uh, get together, but there's no way that we're going to see things clearly without each other. And, and this is all throughout scripture. And it comes here to, today that we need to be examining our own life, but we need to be helping each other. We need to be uh, pointing things out in love, in grace, because the eyes can get blind through the deceitfulness of sin. So when every time the Bible talks about community, or just about every time I should say, it, it mentions this thing about really speaking the truth in love. There's, there's a famous one. Or in, in Romans 12, it talks about this authentic community. It talks about genuine love. It says, let love be genuine. 
uh, it says let love, or another translation says let love be without hypocrisy, or let there be no pretending. Let love be without pretending, um, which was a theater word like don't wear the mask. Saying so if genuine love, if we're going to have genuine love for each other, which I think we all want, that we can't pretend. We can't afford to play that game. We can't afford to come in here and act like everything is okay. We can't go into our community groups and act like everything is okay when it's not. We can't, we can't pretend. We need each other. We need to be open. We need to be vulnerable. We need to invite that input. We need to be willing to have that tough uh, conversation um, because there is no such thing as privatized Christianity. It just doesn't match up biblically. A lone ranger is a dead ranger. If you're all by yourself in this, why we think Jubilee, we say this regularly, we believe that life is a team sport and we need people around us. And if you don't have a group of people in your life, you're in a very dangerous situation. You're at, you're at huge risk at falling into unbelief, but unbelief will creep into your heart. It'll lead you away. Uh, it, it's not a maybe. It, it's not, I'm, the Bible doesn't say it might happen. It will happen. You'll be led away uh, so you got to fight for it, community that is. You got to fight for it. It's essential. You got to prioritize it. Um, you got to make. You got to do what you need need to do to get into those places of community. It's why we have uh, community groups. But our hope for community doesn't just lie in you attending a group, because we can all attend a group, and like, okay, I, I'm supposed to be in community. You know, Brian got intense again. Check. You know, I'm going. All right. And then, but then fail to actually open your life up. So we need community. And the, you have to hear, I want us to feel, I want us to feel the warning that this passage gives to us about how serious this is, about where to take heed. In fact, in, in verse one, if you just go there with me real quick, it says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. Isn't that great news that no matter what happens, where you're at today, no matter how many times you've messed up, no matter how many times, we, the, the, the invitation to rest is always there. And when we see that in New Testament, Jesus is saying things like, hey, all you who are weary, come to me. Come on, this is my invitation. I want you to come near. I want you to come close. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. Come, I want to give you rest. Even in Revelation, it's Jesus standing at the door, knocking. The invitation is there. But then it says, let us fear. Let us fear, lest anyone... Uh, fail to enter. And so it's this thing of like, we, we, go, we gotta be afraid. Now, if you have an NIV translation, it says, let us be careful, which is a horrible translation. Not the NIV, you know, I still have one. I, I have an NIV. Um, I read it to my kids, but like we, you have a, and, and I read it through, when I read through the Bible, the, the ESV, which is more of a literal translation, because the Greek word there is this word, phebeo, which means to be seized with alarm and uh, to put to flight by terrifying. That's what the word means. So the language that this writer wants us to get is that we would be, that we'd be, <laughs> that we'd be put to flight by uh, being terrified and we would be seized with alarm. Now, being careful and being seized with alarm is like two, two totally different ideas. It's like, oh, be careful, the soup is hot. To like, put that down. And that's, oh, okay. I, there's something, there's a warning here. And the, the, our, our text today isn't saying, hey, you know what, guys? You really gotta be, you gotta be, you gotta be more careful in your life. 
Just, just be careful. Oh, man, it's, it's saying you need to have fear. You need to be afraid that you might miss out. I'll say it this way. My, my kids, they like playing in the backyard more than the front yard, which I've got two problems with that. Because number one, I, about a year or so ago, I spent six weekends and an untold amount of money building them this massive treehouse. All right? And they're like giving me trouble the whole way I'm building it. I'm like, I'm like getting up at like five in the morning and, you know, working until late in the night. I'm like, Dad, it's kind of taking a long time, you know. You know so. <laughs> but they don't, they're, they like, they don't play in the, the treehouse, which is, I know, I, I need counseling for this because I'm, I'm, I'm bitter. And um, I just want you to know that. And I'm, I'm, I'm not letting go. And so, so anyway, so I've got two. So one is I want them to play back there. But secondly, the, our front, we live in the city. Our front yard is like half the size of the stage. And, and that may not even be that big. And it's like on a slant. So the, the, the street is a very much a real danger. I mean, like a legitimate danger. I mean, anything, any kind of ball is just going to roll right into the street. And, um, and so my kids, especially my youngest, Josie, she's not tall enough to, 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 for, for her head to go on t- you know, over the cars. And so we live on the street with cars parked all along the street. And so if she was to weave in through one of those cars, there's no way a car is going to see her. And she's going to be in trouble. So they all get the fear talk. They all get this fear like you do not go in the street. And so this happened for Josie, I, I don't know, maybe about a year ago. We're kicking a ball together and back and forth. And she's giggling, having a good time. She kicked the ball, bounces off her, goes in the street. So she runs after it. She runs after it. And so I run after her. And I grab her at, right before she gets in the street. And I, and, I, and I hold her down. And I look her. And I say, look at me. Don't you ever, ever, ever go in the street. The street is dangerous. You could get seriously hurt or die like that. I clap. And I say, do you understand what daddy is saying? And she goes, yes, sir. I said, that's sir. And so she, uh, no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But Here's the deal, like you, it, she's not here today, um, she's homesick with the rest of the family, family. and um, if you were to ask her, say, what, if you were to say, hey, what happens, Josie, when you go out in the street, and she goes, you get squished like a bug, and so she knows that you don't, that you don't go in the street, and the Bible is saying here that you need to be seized with the same kind of fear, that that's not a place you go, you don't go to unbelief, so you're going to do some things. Uh, to prevent that from happening. And one of those things, like we said, is that you're going to look intently, look closely at your own heart in life, and you're also going to surround yourself. You're going to surround yourself with a community of people that you have deputized to speak into your life because you are afraid of entering. Now, I, I, I want to be straight here because I don't want us to think like, are we, are we to walk around in like a panic? Is that, is that the ideal Christian life? That we're just in panic all the time? No, because it's just like with Josie. It's not like when we walk across, she's like, oh my gosh, there's a street. There's a street. What am I going to? No, she's up in her, you know, in, her, in her house, in her room, you know, like, oh my gosh, the street tells her. No, she's not afraid of the street. But here's, here's what will happen. Like it happened, oh, before, you know, before it got really cold a few months ago. Kicking the ball again. Ball goes out in the street. Favorite ball. She, she'll, 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 
chase after the ball, and she'll step. And you can see her think, and she doesn't go. Now, she's tempted because the street looks fun, and she loves that ball. (laughs) But she goes right up to the edge, and she does not go. And what it means to fear, lest there be any unbelieving in your heart, is is, there's this good kind of fear that keeps you in that zone of safety that when you're exactly where you need to be. And the Bible's communicating that to us. That this fear, it's a good fear. It keeps you where you need to be. And that's the message here. And, I, and so I think the thing that we need to do is that we need to be on high alert for this thing. Like, this isn't a casual deal. This isn't like, hey, you know, we all struggle, you know. Yeah, we do all struggle. That's why we need to be on our guard, because we do struggle. So the Bible's saying to you and I that we have to look intently to our own life, and we need to help each other out with this. And there are two ways where we don't do this. I mean, just kind of going back to the whole physical exam is like, we, we, just, we just don't even go to the appointment. We just ignore it altogether. So we're not even like in how we live, we're not even mapping this in, we're not even putting this into our calendar. So we may, we may come here on a Sunday or we may do other Christian stuff, but we're not really seeking to find a community. We're not really looking for that. We're not really looking to... Um, look deep in our soul at these issues and are motivated enough to be honest with other people and be motivated enough to, to bring other people around to help us with it. So one of the things that we do is that we just avoid it altogether. The second thing we do is like we, we, we don't give all the information. So you go to your doctor, you don't tell them about your uh, you know, your family's history with heart disease. You don't tell them about that pain that you've been having in your back. You didn't tell them about, you know, the dizzy spell you had a, a couple weeks ago. You leave out information because you want, you want them to know that everyone's okay because you don't want to face it. You don't want to deal with it. So you, so you live in this kind of like partial accountability that gives the illusion that you're that you yourself are kind of walking in this, and everyone else thinks that too. So, you know, if, if you've been a Christian long enough, you can go to a community group, and you can say, and you can learn how to be honest about something without full disclosure. So you can say, look, I know everyone's around me um, is going to want to know how I'm doing, so I'm going to give them enough information so they'll stop asking me the question. So I'll tell them about something, but I'll glaze it over in such a way that they won't ask anymore. So yeah, I was struggling with this two weeks ago, but I'm done with it now. It's, it's, it's fine now. So, so we'll tell somebody what we used to struggle with, but we won't tell anybody what we are struggling with. So we just leave out information. And it's really dangerous because here's what happens. You think you're being accountable, even though you really know that you're not. But secondly, everyone else thinks you're accountable, so they just stop asking questions. And so you play this game. And it's absolutely dangerous game to play. It will keep you from the rest that God has for you. It will keep you from that, from not inviting it in. So now what do we do here? Because, so we have these tools. So it says, hey, look, the, the, the warning here is a stern, stern, stern warning. It says, hey, you need to look inside your own heart 
and you need to bring other people around you to, so they can examine with you your life and help you to walk that out. What is, how, how does that, what does that look like? What's, what's the tool for that? And it says it, and that's why we read uh, Hebrews 4, uh, 12. It says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning hearts and the intentions of the heart, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, excuse me. The word of God is living and active. It's living and active, and it's something that we need to pursue daily. God's word. Some of you are thinking like, oh, geez, this is like one of those like read the Bible more sermons. Yes, this is exactly what that is. Read your Bible. I mean, whatever you have to do to, to, to read the, and I know it's, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's big, it's dark, it says holy, it's intimidating. It's just like it has, you know, where do you start, Job, Malachi, and just like all, what do you, and you know, like you never know how tired you were until like you read the Bible and you're like, and God, holy, oh my gosh, I got to start that. But here's the thing, you don't read the Bible. So when I say read the Bible, you don't read it like you're reading a newspaper, You don't even read it to, to, to like learn more about what the Bible says, although that, that's great too. Um, it's a good exercise sometimes to try to read the Bible very quickly, just so you can get a good overview of the Bible. Just sometimes it's good to have that, and it's good to study it, to part, you know, just to really get out the, the language and the, you know, understand the background, the commentary, and all that kind of stuff. But the real thing, so it's, it, I'll say it this way, it's not so much that we read scripture as much as we allow scripture to read us. Because the Bible is living, it's active, God's spirit is involved. It's, it's not just words from an old document, but it's living and active. It has a way of cutting down right to the heart. So you don't sit there and ex- examine scripture. What does this mean? What does it say? Da, 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 da. But actually, it's like, okay, this is, what is the word of God? How, let the word of God examine you. So James says that this Bible, this word of God is a mirror. It's a soul examining mirror that you stand in front of and you let it read you and you let it tell you exactly where you are and it has the ability to cut right down to the intention because I don't know if you have this problem. I have this problem. I confuse my thoughts with God's thoughts. I generally think that the way I think about something is probably what God thinks about something. The Bible has a way of severing and saying, no, let me show you the difference between the way you think and the way God thinks. It has a way of dividing that and just makes it so plain. So one of the things that's happened to me recently in just reading the Bible, just, I just you know, love studying the life of Jesus and how he served and how he just gave his life away and how I'm sure he felt used and abused and I just found myself being in this place where I'm just kind of coasting and you know the church is at a size now where you know if I don't, if I don't really want to do something I, I don't have to somebody else will do it or I just won't do it and and, you know, and everyone's great. I mean, they're trying to be helpful, so they'll say things like, 
oh, you, don't, you shouldn't be doing that. Let me do that for you. Oh, okay. And so, what, and, and because I'm like type A and like trying to make the most of my time, you know, there's sometimes I have this thought, it's like, well, I'm just trying to make the most of my time. And, but what I found is I found myself, and I just realized this really, r- r- lately, and it's all because of, of God's word, is that I was getting angry and I, at times, and I found this most at home. With, with my wife and with my kids. And I, and I didn't know why I was angry, but what I found out was like I was getting angry because, well, I shouldn't have to do that. Why isn't somebody else? I'm getting, somebody else should be doing this. And I was getting angry. And I realized I was getting angry because I allowed myself to really just take on impatience and pride and self-centeredness that just creeped in. Because like, I would never, I want to be careful when I say this, I would never thought of myself, and I, and I don't think the people around me necessarily would say, hey, you know, you're, Jesus, you're all about you, Brian. I don't, but it just kind of just crept in. And I was blind to that. I just didn't even consider it a possibility, but the Bible came in and just severed that. It helped me to see that. What's the Bible telling you about your life? What are the intentions of your heart that it's showing you maybe what you don't want to know? Here's the thing. It's a two-edged sword, so it doesn't just come. You see, a lot of reasons why we don't want to do this because it cuts. It cuts deep. I mean, that was a hard thing for me to wrestle with. But it doesn't just come in and, like, cut you open and, like, throw salt in the wound and lemon juice or whatever would hurt really bad. But... What it does, it, it, it's a two-edged sword, so it brings hope and healing and life, and it doesn't come and condemn, and doesn't, it's like, oh, you know, oh, you're, you know, you, you're, you're, it wants to lift you back up. The enemy of our soul has come to kill, steal, and destroy, and wanting to take from us and lie to us. Condemnation does not come from God. It does not come from this. It wants to bring life to you. Wants to bring life to you. And so in our relationships, when we examine our life, we don't examine our life with our own opinions, with our own thoughts. Because we'll just examine ourselves with how we see things. And we don't examine other people with our opinions and our thoughts and our philosophies and our ways of life. But we use the Bible for that. If you have all Bible and no relationship, we're going to be very legalistic and very cold, very prideful. But if you have all community and relationship and no Bible, it's the blind leading the blind. And I don't want, any, I don't want either one of those, and I don't think you do either. But man, it's so powerful. It's so life-giving that God has given us his word and through the power of the spirit is able to make it come alive in our hearts for us to examine ourselves, but it doesn't end there because even if it was just us and our Bible, we wouldn't quite get it right. We need each other who are also reading the Bible and, and have it woven into their life and woven into their minds and woven into their hearts. And we're all going together with one focus and one mission and one mindset, not a gazillion different you know, agendas, but all moving in the same direction, helping each other, loving each other, being willing to say the hard things together because we're all after the same things. We're all after God's rest. We're all after where God is wanting to lead us. And it's an amazing thing. So let me ask you, where are you falling into unbelief? And if you don't know, it's because you're not asking someone in your life to show you or you're just ignoring the Bible altogether. 
I know my, <laughs> if you can't answer that question, you're in, a, you're in a bad place. If you can't answer it, you're probably in a good place because you know. If you don't know, you're in a bad place because you're blind to it and you're wondering why. Why am I have this unrest? Well, maybe it's this and maybe it's that. So it's this career. I need this job or I need this relationship. I need this. I need that. And you're trying, just, wa- just wandering around the desert, wandering around the wilderness, around the mountain over and over again. All along, Jesus saying, come home. Take care. Look in your heart. Get people around you. Let them speak into your life. There are a few things that I just think get us every time. There, there are a lot of lies that we believe, a lot of ways that we kind of fall away from the living God. That we, that a, a couple I'll just mention really quickly that if you need help with this. One is that I think we just, we constantly fall into this lie that the cross of Jesus is not enough. And that leads us to feel guilty. It leads us to striving. It leads us to not being very grateful which means that not only are you hard on yourself, but you're hard on other people. You're not generous. You don't serve because you feel like you've got, you just, it's just, it's, it's, and so because you don't forgive yourself, you don't forgive others. The Bible says that, that, you know, that we forgive, that if you've been forgiven much, we forgive others. And there's that line in that um, Mumford and Sons song, it's the best line. It like makes me want to go out and like learn how to play the banjo. It's so awesome. It's like, it says, um, you forgave and I never forgot. Or wait, excuse me. You forgave and I won't forget. It's just amazing. It's just like, God, you forgave me and I won't forget. And, and the fruit of me never forgetting is how I treat other people. So are, are you holding a grudge against anyone? You, the cross isn't enough for you. Or for them? Are you believing the best about other people? Are you, ah, they did this because of this. I just think we fall into that all the time, all the time. All, and it leaves us unrest. I think another big one is you just don't believe, we don't believe that God will provide for us financially. And it leads to two big things. One is a lack of generosity. And the other one is we get into debt. We get into debt because we have a need or we have a perceived need. And we're afraid that God won't take care of it, so we charge it. I think the sad thing about credit card debt is it isn't so much that it's, it is bondage. It is, it is it's something you shouldn't do. But the, the, the really unfortunate thing is you never give God a chance to provide for you. You just take it back in your own hands. I know there are extenuating circumstances, but it's just on, on average, you know, I mean, the stats are out. It's obvious. The Americans have never made more, but have never had more debt. So I know you may be different, but um, so we get into debt. Oh, we're not generous. We, 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 we don't feel like we can give because, well, you know, God won't make up. But he promises us over and over and over again. In fact, this is the only area he says, test me in, test me in this area. I want to show you how good and faithful I am in this. And I remember when I, was a, when I first started as a stockbroker, 
the first four or six months, if you ever opened, started a business or whatever, or did the financial, I mean, you basically, I mean, it's just, you don't make hardly anything in the beginning. Um, you know, the key to being a, an opening your own business or being a broker isn't financial knowledge. It's like, can you, how long can you wear a suit and eat ramen noodles? I mean, how long will you last? And if you can do that longer than the other guy, you know, you, you'll be all right. So that's where it was. I didn't have, I didn't have, but I just remember just God saying, hey, I want you to trust me in this area. God, I don't, I don't even have enough. I just want you to trust. And I'm telling you, so I made this, I remember making this commitment to give. I remember making this commitment to give. It was November 2009. Oh, excuse me, sorry. November 1999. 1999, thank you. Uh, man, I'm getting old. And so we um, can't even remember where I am, uh, these lights. Um, so I remember, I remember, and then the very next month, like the, all these accounts came in. And, and before you go down this road of saying like, if you, if, hey, if you just give money, God's gonna like, give you more back? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that God said, test me in this. Trust me that I will provide. So I said, okay, I will. And he provided. And he's always provided. We've seen that happen over and over in our life. But even now though, so I've had those, I've had, we've had, me and my wife had these major victories, I think, in Syria. But even now, I mean, we're just, we, sometimes we sit around and we've got, you know, I got a couple of kids and, you know, a minivan and a, a house and curtains and rugs and stuff. And you're just like, you know, you just, you can feel, you can feel your heart just shift to like wanting, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we had this? Wouldn't it be nice if we did this? Ooh, what about next year we do, we go and do that? And you, it's nothing wrong with any of what we're saying, but you, I, we know, my wife and I know where our heart is trending. We need to be, have fear that we do not, that we ever fall into not trusting that God will provide. That's a big one. Another one, I think, is that we, we, we fall into, this happened, just so I know from my own life, and I know it from counseling literally hundreds of people, we think our situation is unique, and so we withdraw. We think our situation is unique with withdraw, and that is a tactic of the enemy, because he wants to pull you away, isolate you, and then he owns you. He can lie to you all he wants because you're isolated and you're thinking my situation's unique. So you, so you just take all the rules away from your life when my situation's unique. I just want you to know, <laughs> your situation is not unique. It's common. The Bible says that there is no temptation that's not common to man. People sometimes come up to me and say, Brian, what you said to, to me, it's just like you were speaking directly to me. You're just speaking directly to me. You know, almost like, you know, how did you know that, you know, I was going through that thing? How did you know that? It's because everybody else is, is how I knew that. I just blew my cover. I usually just smile and nod, but I'll tell you the truth. Your situation is common. Ecclesiastes 4.9 said, there's nothing new under the sun. God gave it, made it to where we have common experience. You know why? Because he wants us to share those experiences and say, here, I'm here for you. I can help you. 
If he can isolate us, we're just like, well, I'm unique and I'm different and my situation doesn't apply. Da, 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 da. No, it's common. We've been comforted so we can comfort other people. Don't believe. You are unique. You're one in a gazillion. Your situation's not unique. So don't fall into that and like pull yourself away thinking like, well, I don't, I know he's talking about everybody else, but he's not talking to me because my situation's unique. It's just not unique. We all struggle with pretty much the same things. And if we talk to each other, if we opened up our lives with each other, we'd find that out. So what about you? Where, where are you falling into unbelief? Where are you being casual? Are you, are you, taking the, are you allowing the word to, to really read your life? Are you inviting other people in so they can speak into your life? And don't wait for them to say, yeah, if someone would say something to me, I would. No, invite it. Invite it. I mean, that's a scary thing to go up to someone and, and tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, there's something there. If somebody ever does that to you, I know everything in you wants to be defensive, but the first thing you should say is, before you say anything else, I just want to thank you for coming to me and having the guts to tell me what you want to say. Okay, now I'm, let's hear it. Because that person who's talking to you is freaked out and scared. They're worried about being rejected. They rehearse that conversation a hundred times in their head. Their living room is worn out from just, God, should I do it? Should I do it? Should I do it? Don't be defensive. Don't push it aside. Embrace it. Thank God in that moment, actually, of how loved you are that someone would share that with you. Do you have people around you? Do you have community around you? 